Well, I am really happy to introduce our guest speaker today because he's a guy I've known for a number of years and have absolutely loved every time I get together with him and see him. His name's Ken Castor. He is a, a associate professor of youth ministry at Crown College, which is just west of the cities. We even have some Crown graduates. We have a number of Crown graduates in the room. If you graduated from Crown, make some noise. There we go, all, all in the back there. There's no way they want to sit close. No, that's all right. Well, and, and he, he has an amazing passion for youth and families. Uh, he's, he's the author and contributor to 10 books over the years. He's written some great stuff, all with a desire to help youth and families thrive. And that's, that's what he's going to be sharing with us today, here, and then in a workshop after service that you'll hear about more in a little bit. But today we're going to be talking about discipling the next generation. How can we as adults come alongside the people, the kids in our world, and help them grow up and thrive in their life, in their faith, and in their communities? So let's give a huge River Life welcome to Ken Castor. Thanks, Ken. Well, good morning. I'm so delighted to be here with you. It is, it is truly an honor. Let's see if our screen is working here. Do I need to do anything? Maybe? Oh, there we go. Look at that. Um, I got to tell you, I'm just so honored to be here with you. Some of my good crown friends are a part of this community, and uh, they're, they're not... Some of you are here today, and some of them aren't here today. So I just, Kong and Tommy and Shining are some of my favorite people in the world. And so I'm, I'm kind of taking their place today. They told me they could, that I could do that and be here with you. Um, I, I help contribute to Shining having a good smile, if that, <laughs> if that works. She took about as many classes with me as, it's, as is possible to take at Crown. And she still came out with a smile, so I hope that's a good sign. Um, it's just an honor to be here with you today. And one of the reasons I really am excited to be with you is that on your heart and in your mission as a church is this goal of, of reaching the next generation in such a way that they embrace Jesus and, and follow him and, and that their lives are changed by him. And so your heart is, is very similar to mine. Um, the Lord is good, and he endures in love forever. That's what Psalm 100 teaches us. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. This is on the Lord's heart. It's what he wants to see. He wants one generation to, to fall in love with him and to be rescued from trouble in life and, and, and to embrace him with their whole selves and then to pass that on to the next generation, not just keep that love for the Lord for themselves and shape a church around them that, that just feeds everything they need in church. The goal is that as you become a follower of Jesus, you also begin to notice those other people that Jesus is noticing and your eyes turn towards them and you change your life and you, you focus your attention onto the next generation so that they may know who God is as well and fall in love with him. This is just kind of the way God, God does things. It, it's what he's up to. So let me, let me teach you a little bit about myself and then I, I want to, um, to experience an interesting time looking through what the Bible says about the generations. And I think in the Hmong community, 
that is probably a, a very um, real and passionate feeling. This idea of the generations and, and where do I fit and where do I belong and what does God want me to do and does he have a special calling for me as a second or third or even now we're getting to the fourth generation. Lord, what is it that you have for us? So, hey, here's a, here's a picture of me and my son, Zach. Zach is 20, and if you can't tell, we're Cubs fans. So I apologize to any of you who are rooting against the Cubs. Um, it's, it's a very godly thing to be a Cubs fan. <laughs> it is. For a long time, it's because we were sufferers. Um, <laughs> But then, but then eventually we, we saw the prize and, uh, and now we're victors. And um, so anyways, I, this was a cool thing. This was from last week. Zach and I were on spring break from Crown. He's a student at Crown. And we decided, hey, we've got a few days. Let's, we got good airfare, believe it or not, for 20 bucks. I won't even tell you how we did it, but we, we, we worked some systems. We got $20 flights to Phoenix. And the Cubs were doing their spring training in Phoenix. And so we went to a couple of games. We hung out at their practices. We got to meet some old-timer Cubs. Are there any Cubs fans in here at all? <laughs> got to meet Fergie Jenkins. And it was just this amazing experience as a Cubs fan. And it was really, really fun to experience this with my son, Zach. Um, and so that, that was the last Cubs game I went to. It was last week in spring training down in Phoenix. The very first Cubs game I went to was when I was seven years old. I had just turned seven, and it was in 1979. Some of you are going to do the math. Don't get lost. It, I'm 46 now. <laughs> I'm almost 47. So it was, it was uh, how long ago was that? 40 years ago. I was hanging out with my dad at Wrigley Field in Chicago, and I, I just want to show you the, the score line to this game. As a kid, I thought every baseball game was going to be like this. This was the first game I experienced, and it ended up being the, the most runs scored in a baseball game in history, and I thought every game was going to be like, this is what the score line looked like in a Cubs game. Can you believe that? It was 23 to 22. The wind was blowing out, and there were baseballs being hit as home runs, like, all day long. It's just boom, boom. I thought, this is the most exciting thing I've ever seen as a kid. I just couldn't believe it. And I was with my dad, and it was so fun. And he's like, would you like to come to more Cubs games? So I'm like, yes. I think the next Cubs game I went to was 1 to 0, <laughs> something like that. But this game was won in the 10th inning on a home run by Mike Schmidt from the Phillies. There were players like Pete Rose. If you don't care about baseball, don't, don't worry about this. But those of you who care about baseball, it was like Pete Rose and, and Mike Schmidt and big-time Cubs players like uh, Bruce Souter and uh, Dave Kingman and Bill Buckner. And just this amazing day. Gary Matthews or uh, Gary Matthews. Anyways, it was a great day. <laughs> I thought everything was going to be like that. What I, what I learned that I cherished even more than all the runs scored that day, though, was the time with my dad. And my dad and I went back to Wrigley Field multiple times every summer, and this just became part of, of my rhythm of life, was being a Cubs fan. When we were at home, we would have WGN on and the, out of Chicago, and they were showing Cubs games all the time. And so my dad would be at home 
relaxing and watching the Cubs. And so I'd sit there and watch the Cubs with them. And um, we would listen to Cubs on the radio when we were driving. We would, uh, my dad would every now and then get me some baseball cards and he'd like, make sure you keep the Cubs. And I'd trade all the other players away so I could get all the Cubs. And I'd have posters on my walls. And it's like my, my life was kind of saturated with being a Cubs fan. I practiced pitching. I never got big enough or tall enough to be able to throw a baseball uh, very fast, but I was really on target. And I, in the 80s, I practiced pitching so I could pitch like Greg Maddox because he was a Cubs uh, player for a while. And it just became saturated in part of who I was. So it's really fun now and in my life with my kids to try to saturate them with that kind of a love too. Does that make sense? And Zach's already talking about someday he'll have a family and he's going to make sure that they're Cubs fans. And I'm like, yes, that's right. This is good. This is, this is the way it should be. Now, the other thing that my dad did for me, though, is at that same time, he became a Christian. About 1980, he gave his life to Jesus. And I just remember we were suddenly going to church. I'm like, what is, what is this? And I, I remember one Sunday after we'd been there for several weeks, we were sitting in the front row, kind of where Pastor Greg is right now. We were sitting in the front row, and I was dressed up. I was eight years old, and I'm dressed up, and I'm wearing the starchy shirt, the collared shirt, and these uncomfortable pants and these nice new shoes that my mom got me. And, and I'm like, what are we doing? It's just, this feels so uncomfortable. And I just remember it because I was so uncomfortable. Exactly. <laughs> it was so uncomfortable. And, <laughs> and then at the end of the service, the pastor did something remarkable. He, he was talking about how people give their lives to Jesus. And he said, I want you to hear from somebody who's just recently this week given his life to Jesus. And he asked my dad to stand up. And my dad came forward and he asked my dad to share the story of how he became a Christian that week. You see, my grandmother just died, my dad's mom. And, and it broke him. He'd lost his, his, like, anchor in life. And he didn't know where to turn. He didn't know what to do. And he had some friends who had invited us to church. And as we were going to church, we started learning more about the love of Jesus. We started learning more about being grounded in, in who God is and the plan that God has for our life. And, and then the pastor came over that week knocked on our door, and I remember him coming over because he was this big man with like this silver hair and this deep, booming voice, and I just remember him coming over. I didn't know what had happened, though, and he had come over, and he had told my dad, um, his, he's a doctor, and he's Dr. Castor, I'm not leaving tonight until you become a Christian, <laughs> and my dad's like, oh, okay, we better talk about this. So they, they went inside our house, and they talked until the early hours of the morning. And my dad gave his life to Jesus that night. And it was the wee, it was the, like, past midnight from what I understand. And the pastor picked up the phone and said, those were back in the days when the phones were attached to a cord. Do you remember those days? Anybody? And he picked up the phone, kind of pulled it over to my dad. And he said, okay, you got to call your friends now because they've been up all night praying for you. And so my dad told them he'd given his life to Jesus, and it was like a party on the phone. And then we showed up in church that Sunday, just a couple days later, and I didn't know what was going on yet. And my dad, I, I watched him stand at the front of the, the, the room, and he 
told everybody how he had given his life to Jesus and he wanted his kids to do the same thing. So guess what I did right then and there? I wanted to be just like my dad and I gave my life to Jesus. And together we grew in an environment in our home that was saturated in faith. Now we weren't perfect, my dad wasn't perfect and I became a teenager eventually, right? And so I wasn't perfect and, and we, we, had, we had our ups and downs but for the most part, my dad worked really hard at growing in his faith, and I wanted to be just like him. And so I would see him reading his Bible, and so I would read my Bible. I would see him worshiping in church, and so I would worship in church. I would, I would see him interact with people and be really kind and thoughtful. And so I wanted to do that too. I would see him, one day I remember viscerally, I remember him getting some news about a friend of ours um, a tree had fallen on a, on, a, on a friend of mine and had broken his back and he was paralyzed. And my dad had gotten the news and my dad was his doctor. And I just remember my dad grabbing my mom, hung, hanging up the phone, grabbing my mom's hand, bringing her over to the table and they sat down at the table holding hands and my dad just cried. And then they prayed. And then my dad went to the hospital to go help him. I'll never forget that. Because in the moment of turmoil and trouble, what did my dad do? He, he turned to the Lord, and because he was doing that, he also turned to my mom, and he, he cared for people around him. And there was something different about my dad because of his love for Jesus, and I wanted that. Does that make sense? And, and so what I didn't know, and what my dad didn't know he was doing is that, that we were actually following what the Bible wants us to do. And, and I've come to realize this over time as I've studied these things, that this is, this is just what God wants. He wants every generation to raise up a next generation of disciples. Disciple is kind of a scary word. It, it actually just means learner. It means learner. And so if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're a learner of Jesus. Does that make sense? And that's what I saw from my dad. I saw him learning Jesus. He was learning faith and how to live out his faith, and he's still doing it to this day, and I'm still doing it with him to this day. If I'm a disciple of Jesus today, that means I'm a learner. I don't have it all figured out. My life isn't perfect, but I'm learning, and I, I'm committed to that. Because this is what God asks. If, if you have a Bible and you want to read along, we're going to start in Psalm 78. This is, a, this is a, a pivotal psalm, kind of right in the middle of the Bible. And it, it's kind of exposing God's heart, um, what he wants, kind of his plan and his pattern. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can easily look up on the screen here and hopefully you can, you can read that along with me. So... Uh, Silently, but, but read along. Here's, here's what Psalm 78 says. This is, this is God's vision and goal for families, for communities, for, um, for generations. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. Parable is a metaphor. It's a story to kind of reveal who God is. Jesus uses parables all the time. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, 
stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. Isn't that powerful? Because how else do you know what has happened in the past if you're not told of these things, right? You, how do you know the, the history of your, of your family unless your family passes that down to you so you can learn? How do you know what your ancestors have gone through unless somebody passes that story down so that you can embrace it and it becomes part of who you are? It's part of your identity. And I think often when I read this section, especially with our Hmong students at Crown, I read this section and we'll talk sometimes about the stories that ancestors have handed down over the years. And it, it's, it's amazing that, that the stories that are handed down over the years are so powerful and important and visceral to who a person is. It's, it's part of their experience and their identity. And what Psalm 78 is saying, make sure that as all of those stories of life are lived out and handed down, make sure that God and what he has done are wrapped up in those stories. That God is, is seen and evident throughout all of that. And he's saying to Israel in Psalm 78, do not hide the stories of what God has done. As you talk about your ancestors and your families and what they've gone through and all the things they've experienced, make sure to tell God's story in the middle of all of that. And make them stories so that people can see and hear what God has done. Stories that our ancestors handed down to us and that we will not hide from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious things that God has done. Now look at the next verses here, because this is the real plan. For he issued his laws to Jacob. Jacob is kind of the, the he's, he's the son of Abraham, and he is the, the one who is named Israel. Jacob was given a nickname of Israel, and from Jacob, all the tribes of Israel are born. And so in many ways, he's like the father of the nation of Israel. And he issued his laws to Jacob, gave his instructions to Israel, the people of Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so that the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children so that each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. I like to act this out. Forgive me for just a moment. Can I walk on the stage? Yeah, okay. So God's story was given to Jacob, okay? He's kind of the first one mentioned here, Jacob. Jacob handed it down to his sons and the people of Israel that came through them, right? Follow me? Then they handed it down to us. This generation, Psalm 78, the one who's writing this psalm, he says, we have gotten this message about God from these people who have gone before us. They didn't hide it. They passed it on to us. Now, what's our job? He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them. 
so the next generation might know them. The next generation. Even the children not yet born so that they can teach their children. I teach youth ministry at Crown, and, and a lot of people see youth ministry as, uh, you know, somebody who's strange because they want to work with middle school kids, right? They're, they're especially called by God. I will agree with that. Um, highest calling there is in ministry, I think, partially because of some of the things I'm sharing with you today. If you work with children or youth, if you work in high schools or middle schools or elementary schools, if you do pre, uh, uh, preschool, if, you, if you're a, a mom or a dad caring for kids, if you are in um, nursery, if, if you love your niece or nephew and hold them in your arms, you are in the heart of God. You are, you are pursuing his calling because what he wants is for the next generation to know him so that their children will come to know him, so that their children will come to know him. And so when I teach youth ministry at Crown, I often say, hey, your job description might say that you're in charge of middle schoolers or high schoolers, but actually God's job description for you is that you will equip that next generation so well in faith that they will not be able to hold back and they will communicate God's love to the next generation in such a way that they'll be equipped to share it with their kids, the ones who are not yet yet born. Isn't that cool? And I think those of us who have families, who have had kids, we can kind of understand this, that, that as we look at our own kids, we begin to imagine what are they going to embrace what are they going to experience? What, what are they going to pass on? So I hope that my son passes on being a Cubs fan. But even if he doesn't, what I really want him to pass on is, you know what? As he turns to his kids, I want him to turn to his kids and say, hey, do you know who your grandpa was? He was a follower of Jesus. And, and he wasn't perfect, but he lived it out and he, he tried to dig into his Bible, and he, he tried to worship God, and, and I would see him help people sometimes, and I would see him care for people, and I would see him working on his own life and getting rid of things that messed him up and, and embracing things that were good. And I want Zach and my other son, Ben, and my daughter, Eliana, I want them to pass that on to their kids. And if the Cub stories get wrapped up, that's a bonus. If they get infiltrated in all of that passing Jesus on stuff and they also become Cubs fans, that would be a bonus. That would be great. But more than anything, I want, I want future generations to know that I followed the Lord. And the reason why I followed the Lord is because I saw my dad follow the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? That's kind of the way it's supposed to be. Faith comes from hearing the good news about Christ. It's from the book of Romans. Um, and the book of Romans asks it this way. Uh, for how can the next generation believe in Jesus if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? I love that river life is here. Because this church is here to tell a next generation about Jesus. And there are a lot of second, third generation who, who aren't hearing the message for one reason, one reason or another. 
there's been a breakage in the message or, or they just have never been exposed to who Jesus is and what he can offer. And I love River Life being here because this is the call of God. This is what God wants. He wants the generations to hear about what he has done. And he wants the generations to give their lives to him so that they can continue to pass that on. Take one moment, just real quick, and think of a younger generation person that you know who's on your heart. And they need to hear the good news about Jesus. Let the Lord stir somebody to your heart and mind. And you may be, as God's doing that for you, you may be getting nervous. That, what, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to share my love for Jesus with them. Uh, here, here's the thing. My dad didn't either. My dad didn't know how to sit down with his son and say, son, here's everything I know about Jesus. He didn't know very much. And he didn't know how the Christian life kind of worked. He kind of just learned as he went. That's what I saw. I saw a guy who was willing to learn as he went along. And so guess what I did as a kid? I started learning as I went along too. Again, my dad didn't have it all figured out. He didn't have all the big theology figured out. He didn't have all the right terms. Still this day, he, he probably can't pronounce some of the names in the Bible. And he's been a Christian for almost 40 years. I still can't pronounce some of the names that are in there. There's some weird ones. But what I saw was my dad living out a life of faith. And, and here's kind of how he did it. Um, he, he got convicted by something that Jesus said in Matthew 28. Jesus wanted his disciples to go out and make another generation of disciples. So it says this in Matthew 28. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, I want you <laughs> to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see this? All authority, all the nations, all the commands, I'm with you always. And it seems a little overwhelming, but, but it's so much simpler than that. Because it, it really is a, is a simple message. It's a good news. Romans 10 says that the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. If you guys share the gospel with the next generation, you have beautiful feet, no matter what anybody says about your feet. My feet are horrible. My pinky toe. I don't know what God was thinking when he made my pinky toe. But, like, you can't even see it. It's like not even there. I should have just have four toes on each foot because um, the pinky toe is worthless. It's like hidden in there. It's awful. It, I'll show it to you later if you want to see the pinky toe. <laughs> but it's awful. And yet the Lord looks at me. He's like, Ken, are you sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with your kids and with the next generation? I say, Lord, I'm trying. He'll say, then your feet are beautiful. 
Jesus commands us to pass this on, but it's, it's, not, it's not in a way that you have to have all of, all of the words figured out and all of the theology figured out. And so, so you might be going, Ken, so what does that mean? How do, we, how do we do this? How do we pass faith on to the next generation? Well, God's already set the plan. He already set the pattern for us. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is like the most important chapter and section in almost all the whole Old Testament of the Bible. And it's where God is setting up the people of Israel. And he's saying, Israel, this is what I want from you. This is what I want. Now, see, he's talking about commands and decrees, and, and, and our eyes go in the back of our heads. We're like, oh, no, not commands and decrees. But really, this is just his pattern. This is, hey, Israel, here's how I want you to live. Do you see how this is kind of like Jesus' commission? Follow all my commands. So the Lord, follow all the commands that the Lord has given you, and then in verse 1, you must obey them in the land you're about to enter. Verse 2, and you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all the decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Oh, the word obey isn't as scary as it sounds. It means to hear and agree. So hear what God is saying and agree with it. It's not a command like, do this or else. It's a, hear what I'm saying. This is really what any parent or older person in a, in a loving community really wants from the younger generations is, would you just hear what I'm saying and, and agree with me? Like, have an agreement. So listen closely, Israel. Be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey. I don't know what Minnesota's flowing with. A lot of snow and cold. And the land flowing with snow and cold and Vikings fans and what else? Lakes, yes. And crappies in the lakes. Then, you, then all will go well with you and you will have many children in the land flowing with crappies and lakes. Just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. And it continues. Listen, really listen, Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Does it sound like this all-encompassing life again? And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Now, here's, here's how we do it. You don't have to work up the best articulation. You don't have to have a Bible study with your kid every single day. That'd be great if you can figure out how to do that, but it's hard to do, especially in this busy culture that we're in. But I think this is how you do it. Verse 7. Repeat God's commands again and again to your kids. Just, just repeat them. Live them out. Live them out. And repeat them all the time. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road. When you are going to bed. When you're getting up, tie them to your hands. I think this is a parable. I don't think it literally means to tie God's commands around your hands. Some people have taken that literally. You can go to Israel nowadays or some other Jewish communities around the world, and they, they actually will have scripture written out on straps, and they'll tie that around their hands because of this verse. But, but I think it's more of a, of a metaphor, a parable. And what it means is tie them to your hands. In other words, whatever you do with your hands, have God's words on them. 
Don't do anything wrong with these that go against God. Everything you do with your hands, commit them to the Lord. Do good things with these hands that he's made. Care for people, love people. Have a food pantry in your church and care for people. Make hot dogs and rice and serve lunch to the glory of God, right? Whatever you do with your hands, go fishing and honor God through that process. Tie them on your hands. Wear them on your foreheads. Again, sometimes some people have taken it literally, but, but I don't think it's literally. You have to wrap God's commands around your head on like a hat, although that'd be kind of cool maybe, but what if God means everything you think, let it be saturated in the ways of God. Learn my ways. Learn. Wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts. Again, uh, it could be literal, but, but it could also be kind of a metaphor. We actually do have scripture written on the door frames of our house at home. So every time you walk in, we've got a cross on one door. We've got scripture on another door. So every time you go in and out, you're reminded of what we're about. As you walk into our house, there's scripture. And so, so I do take that a little literally sometimes, I guess. But but you also write it on the doorpost of your house so that every time, and your gates, so every time anybody comes into your house or goes out of your house, they're saturated in the commands of God. And so this is what I saw my dad do. He didn't have the Bible figured out. He had hardly read any of it before he became a Christian. But I saw him live out the ways of the Lord. He stopped cussing. I haven't heard my dad cuss since he became a Christian. 1980. It just was something he felt like he had to be convicted of. And so he changed, he renewed his mind. He let the Lord renew his mind. He stopped doing some other things, you know, that, that he had been doing. It took, some, some things took him a long time. It wasn't immediate on some things. For me still, I've got some things from my teenage years. I'm still trying to work through them. That's part of God's sanctification process. He works in us, and it's the renewing of our minds, Romans chapter 12. God wants us to be saturated. He wants us to talk about who he is when we're at home. Talk about him when, when we're at home, and when you're on the road. Uh, my, I saw this in my dad. It wasn't like he was quoting scripture as we were driving to Florida, right? But he was, he was talking to my mom in such a way that, that I saw a man of God. He was talking about things in this world, politics and, and sports, and what I saw was a guy who had given his life to Jesus. And where he loved the Cubs, he began to love Jesus even more. And I, I could just see him. We would listen to um, some worship when we would be driving along the road. Or my mom, my mom was, she became brilliant at this sort of thing. Do you know what she would do? She, I would get home from school, and she will have just, for some reason, I didn't know why, made a pie. And the, the house would smell really good, you guys. Just, I'm trying to get you ready for lunch. She, she would make pie, and it would smell so good. And I would walk into the house, and she'd be like, oh, Ken, you're home. Now, she knew exactly what she was doing. But she would act surprised. Oh, Ken, you're home. Like, yeah. She's like, 
how was your day? And she put this, a piece of pie right in front of me as I walked in. And I wouldn't even realize what was going on. I would just sit down in the kitchen, wharfing down a pie. Then she would scoop me some ice cream, put it on there. <laughs> and it's, it's amazing. I don't know how I'm skinny still. But she, she would just, she's like, would you like another piece of pie? And I would be 16 years old. So yes, of course. And any leftover pizza or any leftover anything in the fridge, right? And my mom would trick me into talking about life for half an hour. <laughs> I don't know how she did it. She was a master at it. And every day after school almost, I would talk with my mom. And what I learned was she was, she was talking to me about life and how God fit into all of it and where I fit in my walk with God. She wasn't pushy. She wasn't shoving it down my throat. You know, she was... She was just setting the atmosphere where God could do his work. Does that make sense? When I was going to bed, I learned how to pray. When I got up in the morning, my mom encouraged me to do this. She said, don't, don't ask God to help you. Ask God what he's going to do today. And then get along and do that. And so she changed my whole, my whole mind and my being as I went through the day. This is God's pattern. It's always been for one generation to raise up the next generation in faith. And so no matter where you're at in this process, maybe you're really good at this already. That's awesome. Maybe, maybe this is kind of a new idea that, wow, my faith isn't just my own. My faith is mine to give. My faith isn't just mine. My faith is mine to give. Maybe that's a new idea for you. But I want to encourage you to pass this on to the next generation so that they can know their Lord and Savior is in Jesus Christ. Is that a good word? Is that good? Okay, let me pray with you. Lord God, thank you for this amazing community. I pray that you would enrich them, bless them. Lord, I pray that future generations would tell stories about this generation right now, River Life. Lord, thank you for everybody here. Thank you for those who have gone before us, who have led us to you. Lord, we thank you for those who have passed down stories and we can see you at work. Help us to do the same. As we worship you, Lord, and, and then join together in lunch today, Lord, help us be saturated in your ways in your patterns, so that the next generation might come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.